Hi, everybody. I'm so thankful to be here. I am uh, very grateful for this program and uh, the things that I have been able to uh, receive with uh, dealing with abstinence and trying to work my program as best as I can. But I'm going to start off exactly uh, some things that um, triggered maybe uh, me a food addiction, uh, me having a food addiction at an early age. But I just wanted to point out, too, like my sponsor always tells me, uh, that we don't uh, disregard the experiences that we have. But in our program, the why is not important, but the solution is. It's not to disregard what our experiences are, but the why is never, uh, never uh, uh, it's, the solution is much more important than the whys. So um, unfortunately, um, my uh, food addiction started with uh, me uh, not able to tell that I uh, was sexually abused as a kid. And it started at the age of seven years old. And I remember eating this one thing because before I didn't remember having a problem with food. But at this time, at the age of seven and eight and nine and 10 and 11 and 12, my uh, 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 addiction to food uh, escalated uh, to higher levels to the point that I had um, childhood obesity issues. So uh, can you imagine an 11-year-old or a 7- or 8-year-old in the 200-pound uh, range? And I could uh, remember also my household. At that time, I grew up in an alcohol, uh, alcoholic household. One of the parents was an active alcoholic. And I do um, remember... Uh, the uh, absence of emotions there in that household. Food was my babysitter when my parents couldn't give me uh, the uh, not so much the love was there, the best that they knew how, but the attention because they were active in their disease and I was active in mine as well with the food. And so uh, this the the reason is always. Um, the, I try to stay out of the reason when I'm dealing with my food addiction to this day because we have to, in order for me to be a better um, person, I have to work on the solution and work on uh, my program as best as I can, if that makes sense to you. So uh, one of the issues I grew up with was a lot of insecurity. I could remember so much being insecure and comparing my body, which I had body dysmorphia is another thing that I dealt with as a child because I was comparing my body. Uh, we had these uh, little magazines. They had 17 magazines and these little uh, cute little magazines where you could see these young women and these little girls dressed up in beautiful little outfits that I could not wear, I could not fit. And I can remember vividly, I got on the cheerleading team, but it was so strange I wasn't able to uh, get any outfits to fit me because I was I was big. I was a big kid, so I had to be like, I was a tall child, but I was busty, and then puberty came. It was just awful uh, dealing with those things. So I had to, I decided, you know, as time went on, I said, look, I want to be just like the girls in my eighth grade classroom. So uh, before I went to high school, I lost all the weight. But here's the interesting part. After I lost the weight, the eating, the, uh, the eating still uh, remained with the, uh, the, uh, the trigger foods and the addiction to certain things. And at that time in uh, elementary school, we all addicted to fast food chains and, 
you know the uh, the vending machine is like the uh, like our uh, god at that time. So it was um, interesting how it escalated uh, into me trying to go in my high school year. So we leave the eighth grade, lost the weight, but the attic in me is still there, and I didn't know what that meant because we don't in my culture we don't. It's not addiction. You just like food, and it's it's okay, baby. You know, it, it's fine. It's all right. So. <laughs> I get into high school only realizing that I kept going up and down. Now, I did keep it and didn't go back to the original size that I was, but the issue was that uh, I could not stop eating and going to different fast food franchises, and, you know, I was addicted to the the sodas that we had. So I started using diet clubs, uh, specifically the popular diet club, to keep my white weight down because I didn't want to get back to that other side. So one day I had um, a teacher uh, come to me because she saw me. She knew me when I was little, and I had grew up, and she asked me one day. Uh, I, I, I like to think that that's a sign of God, even though I, I really didn't want to hear it at that time. But it was something uh, that really uh, reminded me uh, to this day that my I was a compulsive overeater then. So she said, uh, sweetheart, she saw me, lost the weight and stuff, and she saw me again, and I had, go, uh, you know, gained a couple pounds. She said, do you have a, a problem with food, sweetheart? Lori, do you have a problem with food? And she was the principal of my school. I said, no, I don't have a problem with my school. But I can think of it now, being in this program, that that may have been the truth at that time. And I just, you know, that was something that I didn't know about. I wasn't very knowledgeable about uh, food addictions at that time. And I didn't hit my rock bottom. You see, I'm still discovering and thinking everything is okay. I'm a normal person, normal eater, right? Okay. So I um, I went into college, okay? So I got the weight down again to a couple of pounds, and I would stay no more than maybe 10 or 15 pounds overweight at that time in high school. But as college comes, I am, my, my disease with the stress of the, uh, the uh, classes and, you know, university um, requirements and, you know, what all these different teachers and things like that, I was so stressed. And with um, eaters, an emotional eater like myself, it doesn't have to be just that I'm stressed out. I could be happy I want to eat. It does not matter I want to eat. But at this time, it was my stress levels were so much that I came down with Bell palsy because I was trying to fix, manage, and control my life. I didn't have a higher power that I went to. Now, I knew of the program at that time because a family member introduced me once they went, in AA, uh, went into uh, AA and got themselves uh, sober. They introduced me to the program, but I wasn't too, you know, sold on it. You know, I would hear about it, and but I really wouldn't actively go to the meeting. So the vending machine kept going. I kept going back and forth, and I had a, a allergic reaction to uh, caffeine. I realized that I couldn't eat uh, different dairy products. I had uh, skin rashes all over my body from eating different things. So my body was uh, suffering and I didn't know how to heal it. And my emotions were being affected by that because I was isolating myself. I, I remember just going back and forth. Uh, <laughs> I had associates uh, at my school, at my university, but I was busy lying and going to different um, schools. I might go to Northwestern and uh, go to one of their seminars and only going there just to eat. 
it wasn't about uh, going there to do anything. I would go, yeah, I'm educated about the seminars and all of those stuff, but I was looking at that food table. They had expansive spreads at those universities, but that was my disease. My disease wanted more and more and more consumption of more and more food. So I um, outwardly, people would say, oh, you don't have anything wrong with me, but I believe I'm an addict whether I'm physically carrying the weight or I'm emotionally carrying the weight. It does not separate itself. I am an addict, case closed. So I had to, uh, I would, uh, I, I became, as the disease progressed into sugar, more saltier, more fried, and isolation and sneak in and being deceptive, going to the uh, fast food. I couldn't keep no money in college. I couldn't because I was spending maybe 150 a week or maybe $100 a week on uh, fast food and going to them different places. So I realized that I had a problem and I was going to therapy at that time. So this is where rock bottom hits. I had, um, I remember the caffeine. I was, you know, having problems with, um, I had allergic reaction to caffeine and I just decided that I had to cut that out and I needed to go and get myself some help. I said, I'm going to go to a meeting and I went to my first OA meeting and I must admit, I was looking physically, not mentally, what was going on with me around the rooms. And I wasn't paying attention enough to the message that I was an addict. I was looking so much at the fact, okay, I'm not that size. And whether we are big and small again, it does not matter. We are addicts, case closed. And I had to accept it about myself. So. I go in there and I listen to what they got to say and I was realizing that they were talking about me, <laughs> okay, talking about self-reflection. So, you know, I, I took it as information and it gradually uh, came into my mind that, Lori, this is it. This is who you are. Whether it's a part of the fact that you that you're you know sexual abuse survivor, whether it's the fact that you have maybe that uh, that gene of addictive behavior, whether you're alcoholic parents or whatever, this is yours to own. So I had a real realization with myself, and I said, well, my way is not working anymore. Powerlessness. Uh, I don't know if I gave up the control then, but I was willing to go and do the steps, at least listen to it. I, I try to be open-minded in my life to listen to things, especially if my way not working, and I got tired of beating my own behind about the things that I was doing. So I said, I'll go to and find a, I'll go to another meeting, I'll find me a sponsor and see how that goes, because that's what they were talking about um, as far as uh, being able to do the program, and I found a really nice uh, woman that worked with me at the very beginning of my program, and she was an outstanding uh, person because she broke it down to me about the uh, the first uh, first section as far as uh, being able to admit that you are a compulsive overeater and that you have a problem with food. But I I liked her. Don't get me wrong, and it wasn't her, but I wasn't ready yet. I wasn't ready yet. So I went out there again, okay, going back and forth, back and forth, you know, doing my thing, thinking I had the answer and not uh, believing in the power greater than myself, which is, you know, my problem at that time, and thinking that I can handle it on my own as the I and never a we. You know, I had a concept then. So um, I got this other lady to sponsor me, and I came back, 
and uh, she told me what I needed to do. And at that time, I think I was more willing. I was definitely more willing to hear what I needed to do to make me healthy and try to uh, connect with my higher power and to work with the fact that I am, you know, this is this is what it is, and I had to get some acceptance. So she decided to, I had to use some tools with her, which was I found a sponsor, found a higher power greater than myself, which I've always been religiously uh, connected. I went to Catholic school when I was a kid, but the spiritual component where I get a chance to define what my higher power uh, is was much more important to me you know, at that time. So I got that experience where it wasn't based on what I traditionally know about religion. It's something that I could uh, understand for myself. So my God is not a, he, my God, the way I look at my higher power, he's not a, he's an open-minded person. He corrects me when I'm wrong, but he gives me gentle love. He's not a, uh, he's not a, a sexist or has a problem with, uh, he believes in damnation when it comes to me, but he does put me he does keep me uh, safe, and he does correct me when I have things that need to be corrected in my life. So I was looking so much of that, you know, somebody that is a support system for me, and that's how I define my God. Because I remember one day she asked me, this particular sponsor, she said, I want you to define your definition of higher power was one of the questions. So she would always have these different questions for me to, uh, uh, to answer each time I talk to her. Of course, the literature that we went through, we went through the whole book, and uh, I would have to report to her exactly uh, different questions and give her the answers the next time I talked to her. So that helped me out a lot. And then the other thing was uh, she, had to, she told me, she said, Lori, you're going to have to uh, do reach-out calls. And I'm a talkative person anyway, so I've never had been a problem. been in customer service and business for years, working with different clients and uh, talking to different people about different things. So, you know, making outreach calls was never a problem, but she made it more of me talking about the addiction. Uh, and maybe she even stated that, um, she said, I would suggest if you're trying to find recovery, she said, you can talk to sponsors. She said, it's okay uh, to talk to others as well. But she said, I want you to focus on talking to other sponsors so that you can find out different ways to keep you abstinent because they are sponsoring other people as well. So get all the lists from the sponsor side. That's what she told me. And um, to not expect perfection all the time. She taught me how to, it's okay to make a mistake, because I'm a perfectionist by trade. Part of it, I think, of my addiction, even in college, it was about being perfect, trying to be uh, this image that I wasn't. You know, I couldn't control all these things. I, I didn't have the ability uh, the human ability to to whip this up and to 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 make myself uh, higher than uh, I was. I couldn't. I didn't have that power to do it. Only God could have done it for me. So, gentle reminder: I, you have five minutes. Okay, no problem. So I decided to uh, work on that, and I worked in the perfectionist part because I'm a go getter naturally. But I worked on that in therapy, 
And I uh, do the 10-step train as some of the things as far as using the tools. That's what I'm going over with you guys is the 10-step train to work on my side of the street and look at the situation honestly and don't get so on the defensive when someone is trying to, you know, correct me or I need to look at something that I need to do or look at the situation for what it is. If I have to change something, do I have to fix something, do I have to let go of something is how I look at it. And also doing service now, like I'm doing service now, those are one of the tools that I have to use too, attending meetings and reading literature and doing my food plans. I have to send my food over to a, uh, another lady on a day-to-day -day basis, and I love her to death. She, you know, keeps me on, you know, target about my food plan. She's not like a policeman, but she does keep me, you know, sound and ground with my food. Now, 80% of my, um, I would say my addiction now is, at that it's it's um it's it's at rest for the most part I say but it still acts up around the holiday Halloween is coming and uh, Christmas and Thanksgiving is coming so I have you know I got a plan for myself uh, to what to do my trouble foods are not in here I'm not uh, so much worried about going to events and getting you know food and stuff and not paying attention I can actually be present now when I'm going to different events because I go to so many of them and enjoy the people that I'm there with and making sure that they know that I'm listening to them, not just standing side by side by the uh, different food tables trying to see which one I'm going to get. That's not healthy. So um, I want to use how to show God and ourselves while we work in the program patience is one of the things that I would like to uh, use as a topic. So showing yourself and God patience while wor uh, working the program is something that I think would be great to talk about. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Lori, for your share. So patience with yourself. Uh, and others. Patience with yourself and God. And God. Oh, well, thank you. Great. All righty. Thank you, Lori. We appreciate it. 